0: Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. First Peter chapter number three. Now, if you've, uh, if you've been with us in this study so far, uh, then as we travel through the scripture today, uh, you may notice a good amount of things that uh, sound very familiar, that sound familiar to some of the stuff that we've already covered here in, uh, the, in the book of First Peter. And when you read this letter, part of that is because if you read this letter, Peter seems to be one of those guys who has a little bit of ADHD or maybe, you know, just scatterbrained a little bit where he, uh, you, you might know these kinds of people where they go to tell you a story or they're trying to make a point. And they make about 723 points along the way of their one big point, right, that they're trying to tell, or they're telling a story and they go off on all these tangents of, uh, oh, and that reminds me, she had red shoes and blah, 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 and goes off on that tangent and then comes back to the story. You know those kind of people. That's what I think of when I read the book of First Peter. You'll see it kind of a little bit if you've been with us in the study. Some of the things that we'll cover this week uh, allude back a lot to the things he's already said. And, uh, and then also, as we go through this message today, you'll kind of see that all of it encompassed, we're going to cover about 30 verses uh, from chapter 3, verse 13, all the way to the end of chapter number 4, it all really has one theme of, of persecution. But as we go through that one big theme, man, he goes off on a lot of little things that have to do with what he's saying in the moment, but maybe not uh, all of the, uh, encompassing of the whole theme, and so we're going to cover it all, we're going to kind of... Uh, track some of his thoughts as he takes them through. So as, as we go through our points, if it seems I'm jumping around a little bit, it's because I am, because I'm jumping around with uh, the thoughts that Peter wrote down here uh, through these uh, verses. But you'll see it a little bit as we go through that passage, all right? So let's read a few verses just to start, and then, um, and, uh, then we'll go through and cover the whole thing. But let's start in 1 Peter chapter number 3, verses 13 and 14, all right? I wanna read these and then we'll go to chapter four and read a few verses there. But chapter three, verse 13 and 14, it says this. It says, and who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? It's a continual thought of what he's just said. You need to live in submission in all of your relationships. and, uh, And he says, and this is doing good. Who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, Happy are ye. That word happy there is that Greek word makarios that we sometimes translate like in the Beatitudes, blessed or blessed. So he's saying you're blessed if you are suffering for righteousness sake. Okay? Well, go to chapter number four and starting in verse number 12, he says this. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering that... When his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, he says those words again, happy are ye, happy are ye. You are blessed if you have reproach, suffering, and persecution because of your righteous life. That already, I don't know if you've heard it, but already uh, this is one of those messages that you already going into it go, Okay, this is going to be a little counterintuitive to how we normally think. It's going to be a challenge to us, but let's pray, and then we'll uh, dive into the message for this morning, all right? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the power that it has behind it. Lord, that it's a living and active book, that it uh, can pierce even all the way down to uh, the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And Lord, we ask that this morning you would do just that in our midst. Lord, would you... Search us and know us, try us, and see if there be any wicked way in our lives, Lord, that we might need to correct, that we might need to steer back on the path of righteousness, Lord, that we might uh, live according to your holiness, as we've learned, Lord, live according to your word, and uh, not just seek after that which might make us comfortable. Lord, I pray that even when persecution and suffering comes into our lives, that you would help use this passage to shape our perspective that we uh, see all of those things through, and I pray that you'd be honored and glorified with the way that we listen, and Lord, the way that we respond to your word this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, I want to set your expectations right at the onset of this message by saying this, all right? This will likely be one of the most encouraging messages that you never wanted to hear, All right, that's pretty much what this whole passage is telling us. It's a very encouraging thought, but one that we don't really want to hear. Because one thing about uh, studying God's word that we most often love is as we study God's word, we often come across promises of God, right? Isn't that such an encouraging thing? As you study the word of God, you come across the promises of God, you uncover some of those things. Because Jesus, he promised a lot of things to us in his word. Uh, but, but here are some things that he never promised us, alright? Some things that Jesus never promised us in his word. He never promised us that, uh, that your kids would always make wise decisions. He never promised us that. He never promised that uh, it would never rain on your vacation, he never promised that it wouldn't, you would never get headaches. Uh, he never promised that your car would never break down. He never promised that uh, your sports team would win the championship, all right? I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, I know. He never promised that, all right? It's been a long time since we've won one. He never promised anything like that. He didn't promise that everybody would be rich, that even all of his followers. He didn't promise that even all of his followers would be rich. He didn't promise any of those things. But you know something that Jesus did promise us? He said that if you're faithfully living for him, if you're set apart, if you're different from this world, he promised this, you will be persecuted and the world will hate you. That's a promise from Jesus. You live for him, you live for righteousness sake and you will be persecuted and the world will hate you. And that's why perhaps I said this message is One of the most encouraging messages that you never want to hear because Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, they would uh, love its own. The world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And he said, remember the word I said to you, that a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's a declarative statement by Jesus there. In other words, if you're of the world, the world will love you as its own. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then you'll be different, you'll be set apart, and because of this, there will be people who, who criticize you, who mock you, and hate you as a result. And, and you can be encouraged in that, because Jesus said that this would happen. Now, remember uh, the context of this letter that we're reading uh, in 1 Peter, the Peter is writing to Christians who were under severe persecution in the time of Caesar Nero. Nero, we've talked a little bit about it uh, in previous messages, that Nero was a a great persecutor of Christians, that he was a a madman. He had uh, had killed, most likely, uh, all of his wives that that he had. uh, He most likely... Uh, even, history tells us, killed some of uh, his uh, children, and and that he most likely was the one who uh, set fire to Rome, because the Senate wouldn't let him build, and he had this insatiable desire to build, and they wouldn't let him do it, and so it, it, it's, uh, history says that he was the one who set fire to Rome for several days, so that he might be able to build up again. And so, uh, naturally, as people started to blame him, he needed someone to blame it on, and He went to this already persecuted group of people called Christians, Christ ones, the people who were following this Messiah, Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, he started going above and beyond. We talked a little bit about the fact that he would uh, put some of them in dead animal skins and then put them into uh, enclosed areas where lions and and wild dogs would then attack those Christians and they would watch it for sport, that he would uh, dip Christians in wax and then tie them to a tree and light the tree on fire using Christian's as the candlelight for his revelings and partings that went around in this time. And so uh, when, when Peter's talking to these people about persecution, they know what persecution is like. Heavy persecution, in fact. Very heavy persecution. Uh, persecution, it, it can look like a lot of things. It, it might depend on where you live. In some parts today of the world, you may lose your family as a follower of Jesus. In another part of the world, you may lose your job. In one part of the world, you may be arrested and beaten for being a follower of Christ. In another part of the world, you may just not be invited to a party. You know, it it may look differently in uh, whatever area of the world you are in, but whatever it may look like, it is persecution if it is suffering in any way for your faith in following Jesus. Okay, the definition there that we would see Peter really fleshing out is that persecution he's talking about is persecution that is coming as a result of your faith in following Christ. And Peter here says that we can view that persecution, in the verses that we read, we can view that persecution as a normal blessing of the Christian life. Did you hear that? We can view persecution... Suffering as a result for our faith, we can view it as a normal blessing of the Christian life. It's a normal blessing of Christian living. How in the world can we view persecution this way? Well, it's because we have a different perspective on persecution. And as we walk through the points of the passage this morning, we'll get in more detail about our perspective and persecution. But I want us to answer this question in light of the passage as we walk through it. And it's this, how can we view persecution as a normal blessing of living the Christian life? Okay, that's really the points of the message are going to answer that question that how can we view persecution as a normal blessing of living the Christian life? It's because our perspective is different. And our perspective, there's certain things that we're going to see about our perspective on persecution that help us to view persecution as a normal blessing of the Christian life. And the first thing we see him say throughout the passage is that we can view persecution as a normal blessing of the Christian life because our perspective, our perspective is shaped by goodness and righteousness, our perspective is shaped by goodness and righteousness. Look at verse 13 and, uh, through 17 of chapter number three. He says this, he says, "'And who is he that will harm you "'if ye be followers of that which is good? "'But, and if ye suffer for uh, righteousness' sake, "'happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, "'neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God "'in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer "'to every man that asketh you of a reason "'for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear.'" having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation, your good lifestyle in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing Than for evil doing. Now go uh, now to chapter number four, verse one through six. He says this For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles or of the pagan nations around us when we walked in lasciviousness in lusts in excess of wine and revelings and banquetings and abominable idolatries wherein they think it strange that you run not with them in the same excess of riot speaking evil of you who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead for uh, for, for for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Skip down to verse 14 and si- through 16 of that chapter. It says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Now, I want us first to recognize as we look at this part of our perspective that uh, what Peter says throughout this passage, he's, he's pointing to the fact that if we want to have a perspective that can see persecution for what it is and endure through it, then we need to make sure that our persecution is the result of righteous living. See, see people who are persecuted for wrongdoing can't cope with the persecution. He, he, he very clearly says, you can be persecuted for wrongdoing and you can be persecuted for righteous doing, okay, for right living. So he says, make sure that your persecution is a result of the righteous living, not of your wrongdoing, of your evil doing and all the things that we're about to go through. Those people that are persecuted for wrongdoing, for things that they're doing in their own flesh or stupidity, okay, if they're suffering or being persecuted for those things, Peter says, you're getting what you deserve for that stupidity or for that sin. But if you suffer for Christ, you will not be ashamed. Okay, so uh, uh, if those who suffer as a result of their own evil doing or their own stupidity, they, they can't cope with the persecution that comes their way. Why? Because there's actually no righteous mooring for their persecution. Whereas those who are being persecuted for righteous living will be able to endure and we will be able to have the perspective of this is something that God is allowing in my life to move me forward. They're going to be able to have that perspective because their, uh, their persecution has a mooring in their righteous living, has a foundation uh, or, or is a result of their righteous living. Okay, I, I've seen this all over the place. People who have been persecuted for wrongdoing who cannot cope with it. I've seen churches where for years from the pulpit you essentially just heard defy the government, defy the government, defy the government, just like we talked about last week that he said submit to every ordinance. But you hear from the pulpit or from a church over and over and over again, defy the government. And now you hear that pastor in the church saying, why do people hate us so much? Why are people always writing articles about us? Why do so many people think we're a cult, right? Well, you're getting persecuted for your evildoing that you went against what God had told you to do. And, just, uh, and, and I just look at it and I think like Peter, I think would, well, that persecution seems to be coming as a result of your disregard for what God has said in his word, not as a result of righteous living. There have been uh, recent documentaries even that came out in the last few weeks outlining certain movements in Christianity that have put up with abuse in their churches and have covered it up. And I'm hearing some of these very churches and pastors speak out like, why are they attacking us? Well, because of your evil doing, right? Why are they attacking us and persecuting us and coming after us for the fact that we covered up abuse? Because you covered up abuse. Okay, so, so uh, uh, I've seen that even take place. I've seen some Christians, they're, they're always in everyone else's business, like Peter calls them, a busybody in other men's matters. And they're always critiquing Other Christians or other pastors or other ministries, why do they do it that way? Don't they have respect for the standards of God that we hold to at our church? Some of them will even go as far to not just gossip about it behind other Christians' back, but will even make it public on social media. And then they wonder why a bunch of people call them legalistic and divisive and on down the line. Why are they calling me all these things? Because of your evil doing, because of the way that you are living, slander and gossip against other people. See, people who are being persecuted because of their own wrongdoing can't have the right perspective on persecution. If you want the right perspective on persecution, then you need to make sure that your mindset is shaped by goodness and righteousness. See, persecution will come your way if you're living for Christ, but persecution might also come your way because of your own stupidity or sinfulness. So these thoughts from Peter are a call for us to evaluate ourselves. He says, make sure that you have a good conscience and a a ready biblical answer for why you hope and the way that you, you live, the way that you do. Because accusations will come your way. And if the accusations are merited, then shame on you, is essentially what he's saying. But if the accusations are unmerited because you're actually living goodly and righteously, then those accusing and attacking you are the ones who will be ashamed, he says, if, you, if you're being attacked and, and maligned because, uh, your name and everything because of the unrighteous deeds that you've been doing, good. Shame on you for doing those things. But if you're suffering for righteous and goodly living, then the people who are falsely accusing you are the ones that in, on, on down the road are going to be ashamed. they shame on them for what they are saying and doing against you and you have God as your defender. And Peter says, if you're living righteously, if your uh, life and perspective are shaped by goodness and righteousness, then they will look at your life and they'll notice something different. You, You don't talk lewdly. You don't fulfill all the lusts and desires of your flesh. You don't get drunk and party irreverently and promiscuously and it will convict them and it might even cause them to speak evil against you because of the fact that you don't participate in the same things that they participate in, Peter says. But Peter says this, if that is taking place in your life, if you're living righteously, you're making sure that your, uh, your mindset and your perspective and your life is shaped by what is good and righteous and persecution is coming your way, then your response should be this, rejoice. Rejoice. Because God is glorified all the more through a life that is good and righteous, So if our perspective is shaped by what is good and righteous, then we will be able to view persecution not as a personal attack that we can't cope with, but we'll see it for what it is, a normal blessing of living the Christian life. But we can also view per- persecution this way, because our perspective is rooted in Christ's suffering and victory. Look at verse 18 of chapter number 3. He says this, "...for Christ also hath once suffered for sins." The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the res- resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject to him. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Look at verse 12 and 13 of chapter number four. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange things happened to you, but rejoice in as much as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now, As we read through those, some of those uh, verses, you might have been like, what in the world is he talking about, right? There's some crazy stuff there. And I don't want to get too bogged down with all the interpretive logistics of this passage because there's a lot here. And and this is one of those sections of scripture where a lot of people have a lot of opinions of interpretation on what it's talking about and and what's going on here. In fact, one commentary I read this week had over 20 different variations of interpretation, that people have regarding these verses. So I'm here uh, today, all right, after studying it all week, to set the record straight and tell you what it means. Exactly, right? No, I'm just teasing, okay? I'm gonna tell you based upon my study uh, what makes the most sense to me, and then if you differ from me on it, great, let's have a conversation about it afterward. I'd love to, it's fun to have those kind of conversations. Uh, But I don't wanna get too bogged down to it here in the message, uh, because Peter's overarching theme of all of it is obvious to everyone though the little interpretive things throughout the verses might differ the overarching theme is obvious to everyone and that is jesus suffered and died for us and he rose from the dead victorious Amen. okay that is the overarching theme of here so so peter tells us first jesus died once for all okay jesus died once for all the just one suffered for the unjust so that we might be brought to god and made alive by the Holy Spirit, and it it seems that Peter tells us that uh, what Jesus did while he was laying dead in the grave before he rose again, it, it tells us he went down to the underworld prison where disobedient spirits were being held for sins they committed in the days of Noah. Okay, most likely. This is in reference to Genesis chapter number six where many believe that angelic beings came and procreated with human women in order to corrupt the human race. So so Jesus, it says, went down there and preached to them. Now, he wasn't preaching the gospel, okay? That word preach is just a word that means proclaimed. He proclaimed to them. Uh, what does the statement end with? He proclaimed to them that he was about to rise again and be victorious, okay? So he wasn't evangelizing these spirits in this prison. He was just proclaiming to them his victory. So Jesus' spirit went to this prison and proclaimed to these fallen spirits his victory over sin and death. He proclaimed to them his power over their boss, the Satan. And he declared to them that their efforts to confuse and corrupt the human race would not succeed and that he was the victor through death. And then Peter goes on into the thought that Noah's salvation in this time was a picture of baptism. It's all one uh, flowing thought for him, but he says, The water of the flood washed away the sin and the wickedness of, oh, that was in the world at that time and brought a new world with a fresh start before God. And that a pic, it, it, this picture or figure of baptism that we have does the same thing of showing a passage from the Old to the new. Now, a, a quote here I have from uh, Charles Spurgeon that kind of explains the connection here. He said this, Noah was not saved by the world's being gradually reformed and restored to its primitive innocence, but a sentence of condemnation was pronounced, and death, burial, and resurrection ensued. Noah must go into the ark and become dead to the world. The floods must descend from heaven and rise upward from their secret fountains beneath the earth. The ark must be submerged with many waters. Here was burial. And then after a time, Noah and his family must come out into a totally new world of resurrection life. So uh, Peter, he puts this uh, little parenthetical phrase here, okay, to, as he makes these connections, he gives us this little parenthetical phrase to make sure we understand he's not saying that baptism is what actually saves us from our sin. Okay, he says not the putting away of filth by the flesh. He's saying the water itself doesn't actually wash the sin off of you. Okay, he's saying but uh, uh, the answer of a good conscience toward God. So a, a conscience made good through the completed work of Jesus. And, and both the waters of the flood and the waters of baptism are a beautiful picture of the salvation that Jesus brings to our lives through his resurrection. Okay? So with all, with all that being say, uh, said here, what is Peter's overarching theme? That, that as we suffer, we can be joyful because we know this, we're on the winning side. Okay? So, so we share in the suffering, in the persecution, and in the reproach of Jesus on this earth as we live for him, but that, that persecution doesn't crush us. We, we just see it as a normal blessing of the Christian life. We have no need to be fearful of that suffering. Because we know Jesus suffer, suffered, our Savior suffered, and rose victorious to show us that we have the victory as well because we are in him. And both the ark in the Old Testament and both baptism here in the New Testament age are a picture of that victorious uh, day that Jesus died, was buried, and then rose from the grave. Okay, so we have faith and hope in who, uh, in the completed work of Jesus in his suffering and in his victory. So how can we view persecution as a normal blessing of the Christian life? Well, because we have a perspective that's shaped by goodness and righteousness. And we have a perspective that is rooted in Christ's suffering and in his victory. But we also can view persecution this way because our perspective is focused on the eternal. Our our focus is on the eternal, not on the temporal. Look at verse 7 through 13 of chapter number 4. He says this, "...but the end of all things is at hand." Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, we know as Christians that there is much more to this life than the temporal comforts and pleasures of this world, right? We know that. So instead of focusing so much on how to make ourselves comfortable in the here and now, we as Christians are to live with eternity in view. And when we live with eternity eternity in view it affects how we live if I truly believe that I live in the last days and that Jesus is coming back it's going to affect how I live here on this earth here and now I'll be focused not on my own comfort but rather how can I be a comfort and a blessing to others he says this I'll be serious or sober in my mind I'll be watchful and ready in the way that I pray and I'll seek to be a blessing to other people. See, if I, if I have my perspective focused on the eternal rather than the temporal, then I realize very quickly that all the stuff in this earth is not eternal, right? All the things that I have and own, those things are not eternal. But you know what is eternal? People. People are the only thing in this earth that I can take with me to eternity, Okay, When I realize that, it will affect how I treat people. I will love and cherish and forgive people just as Jesus loves and cherishes and forgives me. I'll be hospitable. I'll be generous to others without complaining just as Jesus has been for me. I'll use the gifts that Christ has given to me by his spirit and as a good steward of that grace which is given to me by God, I will serve others wholeheartedly and passionately. If I have the gift to speak, then I'll speak the things of God with fervency and clarity. Whatever gift of ministry that I have, whether that's administration or giving or mercy or on down the line, all the spiritual gifts that we see outlined in First Corinthians and in Romans, if I, if I know what I have there of a spiritual gift, then I will use it and and do it, utilize it to the fullest ability that God has given me, that he might get glory and praise throughout my life. If I'm focused on the eternal, then it changes how I see people, and it changes how I act with those people. How? Because no matter what someone says or does against me or for me, if my focus is on, on the temporal, then I'm, I'm constantly, we talked a little bit about this last week, in, our, in our, my relationships with people, I'm going to constantly be saying, "What can they do for me? How can they make me comfortable?" If our thought process is on the temporal, but if we're looking to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the eternal day where we'll get to spend eternity with Him, we're looking to that day. Then all the things that people say and do to me here don't matter as much. Why? Because they, I don't take those things with me into eternity, but I can take people with me. I can take people with me into eternity. So I'm going to focus my attention on serving people and on evangelizing people, getting them to come to know my Savior because I'm focused on the eternal, no matter what persecution is coming my way. But notice lastly with me, we can have this mindset on persecution that it's a normal blessing of life because our perspective is also resting in God's sovereignty and in God's care. Okay, look at verse 16 through 19 of chapter number 4. Says this, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end uh, be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well doing as unto a faithful creator. Peter, in his little bit of a scatterbrained way again, brings it back up in the next chapter. So I'm gonna read a little bit of the next chapter too. Chapter number five, verse seven and nine through 10. He says this, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Knowing, in verse number nine, that the same afflictions which are accomplished in your brother that are in the world, uh, are, are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called you unto his glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Peter, he tells us that judgment begins at the house of God. In the context here of suffering, Peter tells us that right now God uses suffering as a tool for purifying Christians. We might go through the fiery trial now, but the ungodly will have their fiery trial later. It might seem like they're flourishing and we're suffering. I mean, just look at the Psalms and they even experienced that too. Why are they flourishing and your righteous one seems to be forsaken, Lord? So often it seems like uh, nothing's happening to the ungodly world and yet we're the ones going through suffering and persecution. And here, Peter's very clearly telling us that that's taking place because our fiery trial is now to purify us, to make us more like our Savior and, and what we experience badly here on this earth is the worst it's ever going to get for us. But there's a day coming that's way worse for all of those who have rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so the fire that we endure now purify, purifies us. The fire of the ungodly uh, that they will endure, it will punish them. For us, suffering is not punishment, but rather purification. And, and then he gives this sobering thought. Peter says, If this is what God's children experience, what will become of those who have made themselves his enemies? See, Christians can rejoice that the sufferings we face in this life are the worst that we'll ever face throughout all eternity. We've seen the worst, but those who have rejected Christ have seen the best of this life that their eternal existence will ever see. And we understand that persecution and suffering we go through is to purify us because God is in control of what we're going through and he cares enough for us to allow, uh, to allow what we're going through to grow us and to make us more into the image of Jesus. To bring me to being perfect or complete, to bring me to a point of establishment, to bring me to a point of strengthening and of settling. So what do we do? Peter says this right at the end of chapter number four. We commit ourselves to him and his plan for our lives. And then I bring my cares or my burdens to him because I know that he cares for me. I understand that he's in control, so understanding that, I'm gonna commit myself to him. I understand that he loves and cares for me, so knowing that, I'm gonna bring my cares and burdens to him. And all the persecution and the suffering that comes our way, we are not walking through it alone. We have a God who is in control of all of it. And we have a God who loves us enough to allow it to purify us. Knowing that, shouldn't we go to him and say, Lord, this is on my plate, I'm giving it to you because I know you care for me. And Lord, I know that you're in control, so I'm just going to give myself up to your plan and your way. Just as we saw last, in last week's uh, passage, it talks about Jesus committed himself to the one that judges right, righteously. Lord, I know that you're doing everything all in your perfect holiness and goodness and righteousness, and as a result, I'm gonna commit myself to you, knowing that you judge right, righteously. If I were to take all of Peter's thoughts here on suffering and persecution, I might summarize it this way, right? That was a lot of information that Peter gives us. If I were to summarize it all down to this, this is how I would summarize it. Live for what is right and trust God with the results. Live for what is right and trust God with the results. Now, hear hear me correctly when I say that. Because I did not say if you do what is right, you will get the results that you want. That's not what I said. This means that you determine to follow what you know God has called you to do. And no matter what the results are, you trust that it's what God wanted to take place in your life. That's what this means. I live for what is right, and no matter what the results are, I give it to God and understand He's in control and He loves me. When persecution comes, it doesn't crush me. I can endure. In fact, I actually rejoice in the persecution. I I see it as a normal blessing of the Christian life. How in the world is that even possible? It's possible because as I live for what is good and righteous, and as I think on the victory that I have in Christ through the gospel, And as I focus on the eternity that is awaiting me, then no matter what the results of this life, even if it's suffering and persecution, I can rest in the sovereignty and in the care of my Savior. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at WenatcheeChurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends. Hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media. And tag us at Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.